You've joined the Digital Transformation Success Podcast. I'm your host, Priscilla McKinney. I consult with leaders around the globe and bring their teams through a digital transformation journey. Realizing digital transformation across an entire organization is key to business success. While the phrase digital transformation is often used, it's not always understood. So we start each episode with my brief working definition. Digital transformation refers to the purposeful integration of digital technology into all areas of a business. It goes beyond technological innovations in that it requires a fundamental mindset shift of how to operate internally and deliver maximum value to customers at scale. When done well, it results in a culture change to an environment where opportunities for digital technology are not missed but are thoughtfully used to change established practices and processes for greater efficiency, flexibility, and profitability. You'll hear from consultants, trainers, executives, innovators, and thought leaders. We will avoid buzzwords, jargon, and leave behind our egos to help you take that next step toward digital transformation success. Let's dive in. Hello, and welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have someone with me from across the pond. Although now, since he lives in LA, I'm just not going to sure that if it counts, but you all know it counts. It counts. It counts for sure. Yes. (laughs) Well, you know that I am a major Anglophile if you listen to my show at all. So I'm super happy to have Mike Ridgewell on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you, Priscilla. I appreciate you being having me on the show. This is great. Well, this is, we've had a couple of conversations and we got connected through a mutual friend and it was really crazy because it was like a mutual friend online to a mutual friend. Then you were at somebody else's house. Who's one of my clients and overheard my name. And it was just the craziest story, how we got together. So I just love networking. I want to leave people with that idea that digital transformation works, get your social influence network going because you could end up with having a good friend and colleague like Mike Ridgewell. So wait till you get a of what we're going to talk about today. Before we get into that, I just want to tell you a little bit about who he is and why you're going to be so impressed for the rest of this podcast. So Disney is the reason that Mike is actually now in Los Angeles. I think you've probably heard of the company, Walt Disney. Anybody? That's Anybody? very true. It's a small little startup in LA. Just- Just this little creative company, (laughs) but he was brought out here to head up new D2C business development for their direct marketing. And then he started doing more and more of them. You're going to hear a little bit from him, but he moved on to Disney movie rewards and then into NBC universal Fandango and really reimagined their digital teams. And so I really can't think of someone better to give us uh, context and also some framework as we're going through a very crazy digital transformation time. And so just the the years and years of experience, and when we're talking about three decades of experience, really understanding where companies have been kind of pinpricked with the idea of digital transformation and ones who have been leading the way in digital transformation. So we're going to open up his brain and get it all out of him, but with this amazing accent. So Mike, I'm really happy to have you on. Well, thanks, Priscilla. And thanks for such a great intro. Well, tell everybody a little bit about what you're doing now, because your consulting services are really drawing from that expertise, but put everybody in the context of what your life is today. And then I'm just going to pick your brain a little bit about what people need to be thinking about when they think about digital transformation. Oh, no problem at all. So yes, after leaving Fandango, I set up a small consulting group called Denmark Street Marketing, and that is named after a very famous street in London 
where all the music shops are. That's a Tin Pan Alley is a Denmark street. So uh, it was just a, a company name very near and dear to my heart. So essentially, we help companies with all their direct-to-consumer and loyalty needs, whether that be B2C or B2B. And we like to think we help turn caterpillars into butterflies. Because you know, really, this is perfect timing. Direct-to-consumer is hotter than ever. You know, most companies want to get into the DTC space, collect first-party data, turn that data into relationships with their customers. We help companies either get started or reimagine uh, programs they already have in place. Okay, I'm going to start with a massive pet peeve. In fact, I posted on LinkedIn today rant about direct-to-consumer brands. <laughs> so here it comes. Okay. I, no joke, purchased something online this morning and within minutes had six emails in a row from this company. One saying, oh, thank you for making the purchase. The second one was like, hey, take a survey. The third one, I don't even, by this time I'm out. The fourth one, and then a fifth, oh, here's a great new buy more today. Here's 25% off of your next purchase. My first purchase hasn't even arrived. Like I'm so pissed at this company at this point. I will never do business with them again. And it's just like companies just don't understand this. They just seem to fail and fail. And yet you've worked for so many brands that have cracked this nut. So tell us a little bit about like some of those digital challenges that you have solved. Like where have the winners been? Well, I'm I'm glad to have hit such a raw nerve. Um, (laughs) uh, uh, Perhaps if they had employed Denmark Street Marketing to come up with their D2C strategy, you wouldn't have experienced that. No, but it's not an uncommon problem. I mean, I think because this space is so hot and because this space for many is actually so new, people forget to actually put the consumer at the center of the experience. And I think sometimes the business need or the business outcome sometimes outweighs common sense. So absolutely, it's a best practice to welcome and nurture any new buyer into your fold. Because as you know, it's it's important to take a journey-based approach to your marketing from discovery to acquisition to activation to retention. Then hopefully you'll end up with a long-time fan that can extol the virtues of your brand to friends and family, and it becomes a a positive lifetime value circle. But there is definitely some best practices, which is so easy to get wrong. So walking in the consumer's shoes is a fundamental. Making sure that you actually go through your own customer experience, it's critical. And whether that be at the very start of the journey, to your point, you've received six emails, you're annoyed. But also just equally as important is the end of the journey. Well, what happens when that product arrives? You know, is it rattling around in a brown box you know, with a return label? You know, or does it come Etsy style, which is something that may be more unboxing worthy? Is there any follow-up to, the, to, to make sure that you're happy with what was received? You know, is there a level of concierge service that checks in just to make sure that you were happy with what arrived? You know, so that's what I mean by like the curation of that customer journey is absolutely critical. I love that. And I will stay tuned. I'll come back and tell you just how good or bad that experience was, but it's not off to a good start. But tell me a little about that from your perspective. Disney, Fandango, NBC Universal, these are companies that cannot afford to miss the digital bus. And it has been a tricky journey for a lot of these companies, a lot of ups and downs. So tell me a little bit about some of the challenges that these brands have faced. Absolutely. Well, well, let me start with the the reason I actually came to America. And before I came to America, you know, I worked for direct response stalwarts like Franklin Mint and Lennox Collections, which is known as Brooks and Bentley in the UK. And those really were direct response universities. I mean, they've really helped you understand media maths. 
you know, the importance of you know, acquiring a customer at the right price and the importance of lifetime value and making sure that it's the experience that actually helps you balance those two. So you're acquiring somebody at the right cost, but you're also providing value over the years to, to make sure that your business is moving forward. But one of the first experiences I had was uh, with the Disney catalog. And this is in the embryonic days of dot-com and e-commerce. Um, but the challenge there was really to retain and grow um, our top customer segments. So we created a best guest program to really recognize and reward you know, the top consumers. We created uh, two groups, a premier group and a best group. We also control, uh, created control groups to measure impact of a program. And we tested concierge level service to some of the top consumer segments. Now, you think a company like Disney with its excellent brand experience wouldn't necessarily need a loyalty program and loyalty in inverted commas, but, but it was really how to really connect with a certain affinity of guests in a deeper way that was more meaningful to them so that they would just be more engaged with the Disney store, DisneyStore.com and the Disney catalog. But if you fast forward to 2004, that's when I worked at Disney Home Entertainment. And the biggest challenge there was we were selling millions, hundreds of millions of Blu-rays and DVDs, but not actually owning the consumer. You know, the consumer was owned by Target or Walmart or any other retailer. You know, we sold to a retailer. The retailer was sold to the consumer. So despite the high volume of product, we didn't know anything about the consumer and we didn't own the relationship with the consumer. And that was a lot of fun to apply all of my, my DDC skills and the build a team around what's the right tech stack to support a DDC infrastructure right through to how do we start employing a more journey-based approach so that we could really recognize and reward top consumers and get them to buy more. Well, in retrospect, just what you said there, how important having that direct relationship is and really understand it, consumer, fast forward to now where you have brands like Peacock and Netflix and stuff creating their own creative, like even going away from the studios and saying, well, we are direct to this consumer. We know what they want and we're going to go ahead and create the content also. And so this seems really pedestrian now, but when you're talking about this idea that Disney did not own the consumer and have connection and have any information about them at that point, that was how business was done. So interesting for you to be at the very beginning of those changes and the shift in the market to where they, as this iconic brand, had to get directly in touch with their consumer or they would eventually lose it out. And had they not done that, I think you would agree with me, they would have lost the consumer. Oh, absolutely. But, but that's certainly not to say that certain divisions within Disney didn't have that knowledge. I'm talking specifically about the Home Entertainment Group, which was a fantastic group at the time, fantastic culture, fantastic business model. And it was really almost like the start of the wave. The movies themselves and the Home Entertainment product really was a, almost like a foundation for what might come later for, say, uh, you know, loving a movie. So you would want to buy the T-shirt or you would love the experience. So you'd want to go to the ride at Disneyland. But no, there are certainly levels of direct-to-consumer expertise within the Walt Disney Company that was absolutely enviable. So I'm talking specifically around um, the home entertainment group at the time. So, But it was really thanks to their innovative leadership that we were allowed to have this playground. And we started from scratch in about 2004. We went live in 11 countries by about 2008, um, 2009. And the program is still going strong even to this day. Under you know, I left in 2017, but it's still going strong to this day with a team uh, called Disney Movie Insiders. So the core principles still remain. But it was, certainly was a fun time. We met some lifelong friends. 
the colleague that you mentioned earlier was part of that team, um, Susan Batoyan. And in fact, it was her research as, as part of that ecosystem that we created proved invaluable. That almost like gave us the roadmap for how we would improve. We would do research every year uh, to benchmark how the program was doing, what people liked, what they didn't like, whether there was any kind of in- incremental impact. And that research became almost like the roadmap for the next year. So we would constantly look at data derived from purchases and uh, campaign performance overlaid with the research just to make sure that we were actually on the right track and delivering the kind of experience worthy of the brand. Well, when I do think about research rigor, the name Susan Petoyan does come to mind for me. So like what you're saying, Disney is such an excellent brand and really strived for excellence in every area. And so people who came up from Disney have a definitely a different mindset. And I really hats off to people who can figure out how to lead such a big ship because it is a frightening world with digital transformation that challenger brands have such an opportunity. And so what this means for a company like Disney, it can be very exciting, but it also can feel very risky. Let's take a quick break so I can tell you about this show's sponsor. As a business professional, mastering social media is no longer a nice-to-have set of skills, but a fundamental need in order to advance your career and exceed goal. A lot of people are interested in learning social selling techniques for revenue generation, network building, and maybe even to advance their thought leadership. But what is actually needed is a practical and repeatable system to digitally transform whole teams. Teams that commit to creating meaningful digital communities and learn how to leverage social media to turn relationships into sales online far outperform their competitors. And companies that commit to investing in their teams to increase their personal social influence reap the benefit of increased brand awareness and positive upticks in company reputation. Social media is natural. It's cost-effective, and it's an easily leveraged tool at anyone's disposal. What is lacking is an effective and proven system that trains sales, marketing, HR, and executives alike to move from social selling to complete digital transformation and into digital dominance. Our 12-week social selling course is a practical, hands-on experience. It's taken over time specifically to address the needed mindset shifts, the changes in habits and behaviors, and all of this while implementing new skills. You will learn how to network effectively and at scale, build rapport with targeted audiences, expand your influence, and become the go-to authority in your area of expertise. So this is not a quick tips and tricks for LinkedIn success flash in the pan. It's a commitment to changing the way you show up online and experience career-shifting breakthroughs. This is expert instruction in small cohorts with personalized one-on-one coaching. If you're interested, go learn more at littlebirdmarketing.com slash social hyphen influence. Oh, absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, I certainly feel very lucky to have spent 17 years with that company. You know, I think there's not a day that goes by where I don't apply some principle that I learned. In fact, some of us call it like the Disney MBA, right? The, the principles and the processes that we learned can be applied to Denmark Street marketing clients or advising friends and family in their businesses. So you know, it certainly was a, a fantastic learning experience. 
So that's a good transition to Denmark Street and what's happening. So tell me about the kind of digital transformation challenges your current clients are bringing to you. What are you hearing out there on that street? Okay. Well, because of my loyalty and DTC experience, most people are coming to me because they either want to start a D2C or loyalty initiative, or they have an existing program that might need a few fixes or reimagination. So as we mentioned earlier, you know, first-party data is hot right now with the whole cookie list future coming, with the whole ability for companies to look at new revenue models. There are more people wanting new ways to engage with their consumers. So so direct-to-consumer and loyalty provides a perfect way to do that. But I do find that, it, or don't you find, that uh, transformation means so many different things for different people. You know, so to me, it's about process, the user experiences, resources, or three. I mean, sometimes the biggest challenges I face isn't how to create a loyalty program, it's how to convince a leadership team to be doing a, a loyalty program. So sometimes it isn't about the tech stack, it's about the belief and the story and the trust in launching a program. Do people actually at the sea level believe in what is being put forward? They will give it the runway in order to succeed and then enable the team to give it its best chance of success. See, this is the kind of success that I want to highlight in this show. Too many people get very fixated on the technology side of digital transformation. And Mike, I know this is where you and I agree that the more difficult side is the people. And you've just said that in one interesting way, but just elaborate on that a little bit, because I think what you just said is such an interesting point, and I want to underscore it for my audience. Okay. Well, well I'd actually perhaps come at it in two different ways. Now, I'm a big car fan. So, you know, I always use the analogy of, of uh, companies sometimes when they think about their tax stack, you know, they want a Ferrari, right? So I've worked with certain companies that have, that have bought a Ferrari before they have a driving license. I work with some companies that bought a Ferrari but can't afford to put fuel in it. You know? And I've also seen some people try and take a Ferrari off-road because they hadn't actually worked out the requirements before they started on their journey. So I find that, that sometimes when it comes to transformation, it's really finding the right, appropriate, right-sized solution to their business needs, balanced with the human side of things. So a leadership team has to believe in the transformation. It has to believe in the strategy. Otherwise, it's going to trip over in year one. I love that. Okay. So let's stick with that because we went from, hey, this is what not to do. And we've moved into what needs to be done and that commitment level. So share with us a couple more of what you would say are really top tips for planning to create a strong foundation in loyalty. How can you as a company understand how to make the transformation correctly? Okay. That's a great question. Well, for me, and I know it sounds very, very basic, but start with a plan. You, know, if, <laughs> you if, heard if, it if, here if, first. <laughs> right. I mean, you've got to measure twice and cut once. What is your initiative trying to achieve? And I would actually even ask that question in different ways to different stakeholders, because a CFO is going to give you a very different answer to a CMO. So really, what's the program trying to succeed, trying to achieve? What are the definitions of success? What consumer behavior are you trying to modify? Obviously, the company mentioned earlier that they didn't set out the intent to annoy you with six emails on day one. You know, they started with good intent, um, but a good plan really allows each of the stakeholders to have a voice to help create those different points of view to align on that, that central plan. Now, that's absolutely critical because particularly when it comes to something like a loyalty program, that's a marathon. It's not a sprint. 
Yeah, it may be that it'll take a year for that program to pay off. So you particularly need the finance team completely on your side. They need to believe in it. They need to believe in you. And you need to have the right team and musculature in place to make sure there's a success. Um, step two is always about making sure you have a strong, sustainable value proposition. And I always think of that in two ways. So there's a value proposition to you as a company, and there's a value proposition to the consumer. So for the, for the client, there's got to be a benefit, like more data, more sales, more revenue, more engagement. But for the customer, you know, it's got to be a reason to join, a reason to return, a reason to believe, a reason to tell their friends. So sometimes balancing those two is hard because obviously, you know, companies are in business to be in business and you don't want to create a program that's going to break the bank. But, but when the two are aligned or in sync, that's when things really fly. Um, step three for me would be about aligning resources. That's really making sure you have the right deep bench of talent, whether it be agencies or internal resources, just to make sure that you can really deliver on what you promise. Many people run these kind of initiatives off the side of their desks. It rarely works. You know, so you've got to have that deep musculature that really sets you up for success and allows you to do what you're trying to do, particularly because these programs can take time and you've got to be in it for the long haul. And then you've also got to make sure that there's a clear owner who's aligned on the vision, that internal champion, just to make sure that you can push things along, keep everybody informed, keep everybody involved, you know, be open and honest in where there might be some course correction needed or isn't working so that the whole thing becomes much more additive to the business. Step four for me would be the build itself. So that's finding the right tech partner, the right platform, making sure it's right sized. You know, I think there are many smart people out there, many great companies out there. There are many great platforms out there. But when it comes to unlocking your own customer's value proposition, having the requirements to find the right partner, the most appropriate partner is absolutely critical. And that includes not just tech stack, but lifecycle, CRM, fulfillment partners, customer care. It's making sure that everybody's involved, that whole ecosystem, because you might need to source a reward, ship a reward, and take that customer call when you know, someone wasn't happy that it arrived a couple of days late. So that whole experience has to be completely orchestrated. And then lastly, remember that you've got to launch and refine. So going live is just the start. You know, you've got to promote your program. I mean, there are so many great programs out there that don't get the, the promotion that they deserve. And then, of course, six months in, the CFO is like saying, well, is it incremental? Is it working? But if you're not putting some juice behind it, it's going to be hard to really move that needle. And then lastly, I'd say as part of that launch and refinement is keep your stakeholders informed and engaged. Make sure they're always with you along the way. Because if they're blindsided or if they don't believe in it, that's going to cause you problems along the way. Well, this is so interesting because in the face of so many people saying that loyalty is dead, <laughs> brand loyalty doesn't exist, there is so much evidence that a real smart take and a carefully thought through plan can actually cut through the noise in today's digital market and create these incredibly strong bonds. But it is not mm -hmm. easy. And I love how you point out, as silly as it is to say, number one, make a plan. I don't know why so many companies think they're going to be successful by skipping over that. Oh, and, you know, so I think the kind of idea like loyalty is dead. Well, maybe the planning for loyalty has been dead. <laughs> maybe that's what's going on. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Well, as a music fan, I think I have to quote Frank Zappa at you and say, well, loyalty is not dead. It just smells a little funny. You know? <laughs> 
I always accept Zappa quotes. And also you can feel free with Freddie Mercury, David Bowie, anybody else like that. Right. Okay. Completely. And Denmark street, I guess our connection there, I'm trying to remember is rough trade on that. Last time I was in London, I went to rough trade. So uh, near brick lane, oh, got to no, go so check it, out some, it's, no, some it's, music it's, shops. It's not quite in that area, but yeah, it's a, I'll show you where it is on the map. We're just going to meet there, Mike. We're going to go pick out a couple records. We're going to go listen to some music. It's going to be excellent. Well, sounds good. Well, well, I think this is next level down to me, considering this would be perhaps an introductory podcast as opposed to like a 101, 201, 301 series. To me, the term loyalty is highly emotive in 2023. And I think in some ways, you know, there are companies that come to me that say they want a loyalty program because they've either read an in-flight magazine or they've just just watch what's going on in the trades. But but sometimes a company isn't even ready. Sometimes all they really need is a better life cycle solution. If your product is a low average order and someone buys twice a year, why would you think that you would collect enough points to go on a flight to Aruba? So I think the definition of a loyalty, like the definition of even a digital transformation, does need to be reconsidered. So I always like to think of it as engagement. So it may be, I don't know whether were customers in 2023, particularly post-pandemic, given macroeconomic factors, are necessarily loyal to as many brands as people think they are. But I do feel that if you come at it from an engagement standpoint, how do you get people engaged in a community? How do you get people engaged in a fan base? How do you get people talking about your product in a way that people can see how you use it and love it and get engaged with it? I think that's more of the pivot to me than the traditional loyalty definition. Oh, I love that. Okay. So we talked about that we were connected through Susan Petoyan and she was a ex Disney. Also, the other ex Disney is David Broad, who is the next person who is that is true. Um, I am working with, and they are doing fantastic revolutionizing things with AI in the market research space, but you're good friends with him from your work at Disney. So I would like your hot take on AI because it's all the rage right now. So with your mindset towards direct-to-consumer work, loyalty, building, what are your thoughts around AI? And honestly, you could take us any direction you'd like to, Mike. I would (laughs) just love to hear your opinion. I love it. Well, I think my take on it is definitely going to evolve. I warn you now because we certainly live in interesting and innovative times. I'm genuinely excited to see what this means for for marketers and for business. I mean, it's significant innovation, a significant disruption. I mean, the fact that um, there are companies out there that can help you write a high volume of quality blog posts with a simple prompt, that can help you with creating video, that can create voiceovers, that allow you to do data analytics. So just with the simple, whether it be chat GPT, or Synthesia, or Oli.ai, you can really revolutionize your business overnight, and particularly for small teams. But like we mentioned earlier, it's also tough to think about how to separate the tool from the art and come back to, well, what's the plan? What's the strategy? Because I think it's definitely early days. Things will only get better and better as tools, tools develop. But strategy has to remain at the start point. And just because I can create 50 blog posts today, this afternoon. Does that mean I should? It's, it's almost like the world will be taken over by Clippy the paperclip from the old Microsoft days, right? I mean, oh, Lordy. You know, <laughs> wait, what, wait, what? there's like a sound. Dun, 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 where you remember you used to tap on the screen you to go. try and get you. <laughs> there, there you go. But marketers have been using AI for a while. I mean, like anyone that's used the Google Display Network and optimized their paid search has been using AI. I mean, the, the tool isn't new, but I think as long as we keep strategy at the heart of it, as long as there's that human curation of it, 
then I think it's going to be a very, very exciting time for people in marketing. And I can't wait to keep diving in and keep testing. I love it. I love it. Well, that strategy is obviously what people are coming to you for. So tell us a little bit about where to reach you the easiest. Like, are you 100% LinkedIn? That's where I always chat with you. But (laughs) Denmark Street and also finding you, it's Mike, M-I-K-E, Ridgewell, R-I-D-G-E-W-E-L-L. Absolutely. No, no, thanks for saying. No, this has been fun. Thanks for having me on. I think you can certainly reach me on LinkedIn or you can go to denmarkstreetmarketing.com and check out what we're doing there. I love it. So going forward, I also just want to make sure that you're available anytime I just need to talk to somebody with a British accent. Is that That fine? That can be arranged. That can absolutely be arranged. (laughs) Awesome. Well, we hope that you have taken a piece or two from this conversation and just had some of the anxiety about what it looks like to have digital transformation success in your company and in your career, take some piece from Mike and then reach out to him. If you have follow-up questions, appreciate it so much for you joining us, Mike. I really can't wait to see you face-to-face. Likewise. And thank you so much for having me on the show. If you like this content, be sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes or wherever you downloaded this podcast. It's how people find our show. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.